Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here with Ruth. Hello. We are going to be discussing a wide variety of things today. We're going to be talking about what's going to happen for the Welsh clubs, not only in the English uh, pyramid, but also in the Welsh one as well. We're going to talk about Chris Coleman. We're going to talk about the Millennium Stadium. And we're going to be giving out a few awards as it is coming towards the end of the season. Um, We're going to start off talking about Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham and Newport. Before we have a wider conversation about some of them, I think it's just worth mentioning Wrexham and Newport in the context of their seasons. Newport, I suppose in the in the grand scheme of things, have done well to kind of consolidate after last season, but will maybe feel that they could have done a bit better? I think it's an interesting season. I think broadly it's actually been really positive when you consider the dramas of last year. True. And, you know, if, if we'd been 12 months ago, they'd have been worrying the way that the Swansea fans are worrying at the minute, wouldn't they? And and I think just to have a calm season, they certainly would have taken that back in oh, August. No question. And to have a calm season with a couple of nice cup runs is all the better. So actually, I think it's been a really positive year for them. Um, and I think hopefully the stability this year means they can really push forward next year. I totally agree with you. I think that their cup run may actually get overshadowed because I feel like their season has petered out a bit. But in actual fact, when you consider what happened to them through the year, um, going on the run they did, culminating in those games against Leeds and then Spurs, which they probably should have beaten Spurs in the first game, which says everything, um, shows when you actually look at it what an impressive season they've had. Um, And as you say, compared to last season, they would have absolutely snapped your arm off. Yeah. I've seen Flinney has said a few things about bringing in new players and you know some of his current players are kind of fighting for their contract sort of thing. So he obviously knows what he wants to do and in terms of moving forward next season, he obviously seems like he's targeting promotion next season anyway, which is, which is good for them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good year. Looking at Wrexham, their season has just completely petered out. Going from six, eight weeks ago, looking at maybe can they sneak into the automatic spots to now completely missing out on the playoffs it's, it's bizarre yeah I mean obviously to, I don't blame Dean Keats for leaving when he left for the for the new role that was offered to him but clearly that was kind of a, a turning point in terms of their wheels coming off but they've been pushing water uphill all year haven't they really in terms of those you know those last minute equalisers or last minute um, goals they've conceded really They've gone from so many winning positions to so many drawing or even losing positions. It's just a horrible season in that regard. But it does feel like they're getting to the point where they're just this perpetual National League team, aren't they? Not really in risk of falling downwards, but equally not genuinely really challenging for moving upwards either. And it's been a long time now, Dave, that they've been out of the... The top four, the league, yeah. four leagues, and I, my worry is it's just that's sort of becoming the norm of where they are. And those days of thinking of them as a league team, it's kind of like, you know, there's probably, there's a generation of fans coming through now who that's that's not been their experience not with yeah. Wrexham. There was some, some interesting tweets I was reading. Of some folks who were basically saying we we almost do need to leave that view of the club behind and concentrate on who we yeah. are now. And I can understand that, but they have such a place in North Wales football. They're, they're just so important to his, us historically that 
for really what was the birthplace of football in Wales not to be part of the proper professional league yeah. is just a, a sad testament for where we are really no I totally agree I think it's a big shame the way their the league is their season sorry is kind of petered out like you said and Obviously, I spend Saturday mornings watching matches here and keeping an eye out on the results as they as they come across. And the amount of times I've sent out a tweet for us that was just like Wrexham have conceded another equaliser or another late goal, or um, and you felt that after the the game against Chester, the Derby game against Chester, it's like oh here we go, this is it. They kind of won that, built up a bit of yeah. momentum, and then just nothing. Went. It just hasn't happened for them. Um, the Keats thing is obviously you know a big reason for that, and it's a shame. And I totally share your view that. They are a big part of Welsh football and the, the wider football league. Yeah. Um, and it's a big shame that they're not in that league. And, and I, I don't know what it's going to take for them now in the off-season to, to get new people yeah. in. And they are going to have to get probably a, a big section of a new squad. All of a sudden, they're starting at zero again almost. Yeah. So I, I do really worry for them going into next season a little bit. Um, speaking of things I'm worried about, seamless link... <laughs> I think Swansea are going to go down. I fear they might go down. The only thing, the only thing that's making me perhaps a little bit positive about that is looking at Huddersfield's run-in. They've got the nasty three games coming up, in which you could see them not taking any points. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, then three might be enough for the Swans, as opposed to actually needing six from from what they've got to go. Um, it just feels a bit like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? It feels like, you you know, you bring in a, a manager who rejuvenates things. It's exactly what happened with Clement. He, you scrabble out of the relegation zone just yeah. in time. And actually, last summer they took a step backwards. So in, in some respects, the fact that they may not go down, given that they actually went backwards last summer in terms of their squad... I mean, that's testament to how hard those players have worked, actually, to, to stay where they Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And then, but if, if, they, if they can't invest to go forward this summer, you just feel this, is, even if they stay up, this is just going to go on repeat. And I would actually be worried about them going down the league because the championship is so strong, yeah. so competitive. You've got the players that lose as well. I mean, exactly. More, yeah. Mawson would go for a starter. Yeah. Fabianski would go. Yeah. The Ayus would go. Mm-hmm. Bonnie would go. Yeah. There's other people that, probably, that I can't think of off the top of my head who they probably have to let go for wage reasons. And then you're thinking people like who they should let go, like Routledge and Dyer, you're probably thinking, well, I, well we might actually hang on to them yeah. for one more year. And all of a sudden, it's just, I feel it's a bit of a vicious cycle. The more I think about it, the more, to me anyway, this reminds me of Sunderland. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they spent about five years reappointing new managers to give them a bounce and get them out of the relegation zone. I, I, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking like Poyet got the job, yeah. um, Dick Advocat got the job, Big Fat Sam got them the job. Um, you know, there's enough people who've kind of tried to pull them out of yeah. it, and eventually yeah. your luck you, runs out. Yeah, you couldn't do, you could only do that for so long. And I feel that looking at Swansea, you look at the way they're churning through managers, they've lost their philosophy a little bit. I, I, I don't know, I just, I just don't see... I mean, I just had a quick look then. Huddersfield's last games are against Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea. Chelsea. Swansea. So, I mean, realistically, you'd say they're, they're probably not going to get any more points now. I mean, the only, Huddersfield, the only way they'd get some points, really, is if one of those teams just has 
disengaged. Yeah. But in theory, they've all still got something to fight for. The only one I would say would be Arsenal maybe looking at that, maybe the last game of the season, maybe Europa League final. Yeah. If they get through to the Europa League, and I think, but I think they'll want to make a statement because it'll be Wenger's last game. Also true, also true. Um, but then you look at the Swans, Bournemouth, Southampton, Stoke. And the thing is, those bottom two, they're fighting, they're fighting as hard as the Swans. And if anything, they've got a bit more forward momentum at I the minute. I think that. And I, and I think that Bournemouth at home, I think I think they'll beat Swansea. Mm-hmm. And you know Southampton looked pretty good against Bournemouth the other day themselves. Again, I know that was at home, but I I don't know. I, I, pre- I agree with you that Huddersfield... The, the other team who yeah. could go down with them but again I don't see them getting any more points and the Swans are two points behind them that's why I think that three for the Swans might be enough because Huddersfield are going to find it hard to take any points the flip side is though let's say Huddersfield beat Bournemouth on the weekend mm-hmm. but then lose to Southampton Yeah, that three points against Bournemouth becomes pretty much null and void um, and I know there's so many ifs and buts and personally I just want a monster last day where all sorts of crap is going on um, I would obviously love Swans to stay up I just don't see them win another game mm-hmm. and as a team as a fan of a team who have been in this situation all season I know we've pulled clear now but I think about when Newcastle played Man City and we lost 3-1 and I think it was 2-0 or 1-0 we didn't get hammered in those games no and Swansea got hammered by Man City. And I know they're a bad gauge, to, but we haven't been kind of hammered by anyone all season. The closest was Man United beating us 4-1. No one's done us all season, where I feel like Swansea, have, that's happened to them a lot. And I feel like, especially at this time of year, I feel like all the positive momentum they had is gone. My gut instinct is they'll go. And I've got to be honest, even if they stay, I think they'll go next season. Yeah. Absolute nailed on. And the only thing that might keep them up next season is that the bottom half of the Premiership has been such toilet yeah. to this year. Yeah, that you just need a couple of lucky bounces and suddenly you're six points out of trouble, exactly. aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I do you think they're going to stay up? I think I think they will, but I suspect it's because the teams around them they're all going to be crap. So it's just who's quite not as crap who's as the less others, shit, yeah. um, and so. Um, I suspect they may scrape it just because the uh, Southampton I think are running a bit hot and cold at the minute and Stoke I think they're just that little bit further back aren't they so they, yeah. their hurdle is that much higher I think Stoke will go and I think I just feel like Southampton I feel like Southampton will beat the Swans mm-hmm. and I think that'll be the, the kind of catapult for them but it's all all still to play for <laughs> people with a lot to play for my link, my links have been very good so far <laughs> um, my people with a lot to play for are Cardiff City yeah. like that result against Hull was enormous yeah. and uh, I don't know if you've seen there's a video going around on, on Twitter of when Morrison scores <laughs> great goal and the noise that comes from that away end like that's a proper like guttural I'm like people losing their mind <laughs> sort of raw I thought it was amazing I loved it Reading at home, last game of the season, nothing to play for. Well, no, they might, they might need a point or two. I think the way that it'll work, though, with people around them, I, I think they'll be safe. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think they're going to go into it being I don't think over. they can afford to assume that they might not need a point. Yeah. And Birmingham, I've got to go into the game with Fulham with exactly the same mentality yeah. as well. So that's, so that's quite interesting, that both, both games are 
mirrors of each other yeah. in that sense. I think last weekend was really important that Cardiff stepped up having had the pressure of Fulham win on the Absolutely. Friday. Absolutely. And I think having done that, I think I've got faith in them to do it again. 100%. Everything crossed. but um, And then you worry, don't you? It's always that team that ends up in third place in the playoffs. They've, they've ended up in third yeah. because they haven't quite made second. And yeah, the playoffs can be There's a lot such of teams a, in form. Such that, a toss-up then, can't they? You, you really want to get that... Uh, you know, straight promotion place. I, I agree. And I th- I think they'll do it. They've been great all season, very consistent. They've had a yeah. couple of blips, I know, but yeah. they've been very consistent, uh, a very efficient team yeah. in, in the way they play. Reading haven't scored many goals. They don't carry a huge goal no. threat. No. Um, I think Cardiff will, will do them. 2 0. Okay. Which is what I've just done now. I apologise, Cardiff fans. <laughs> <laughs> I've just ruined your chance of promotion. Uh, that is my bad. Uh, yeah, but do you know what? I think whatever happens, people were looking at Cardiff toward the start of the season as someone who may struggle in the division. Mm. People, you know, said they have a bit of a limited squad, but look at what they've done. Look at what a job Neil Warnock has yeah, done. Yeah, I mean, you look at where they were when he, Phenomenal. he took over that. Well, it's, all, it's almost two seasons now, isn't it? It was yeah. October, November that he took over. Just to go from a, you know, flirting with relegation to promotion yeah. in a in season and a half, months, yeah. basically. That's, you know, he's, there's, there's something about the DNA of Cardiff that he's really hooking into, yeah. isn't it? And it, it's just working really well. For I think he likes... And he's, and he's shrewd. Like, you know, the, the transfer stuff that they've done... Very been good. very acute, very yeah. astute, and very on the ball, and just what they've needed. And he's he's kind of connecting with both the fans and the, and the team very clearly, yeah. isn't it? And I think it's been a while since they've had that. I think so. I think he's done a he's done a great job of turning this kind of underdog mentality, mm. which I feel like Cardiff City seem to kind of thrive on. Yeah. He's done a great job of actually harnessing that and and saying to everyone, "Sure, we are the underdog, and we're yeah. all right with it." And um, and that's hard when you've basically been up at the top of the division yeah. all year to still be viewed that way, yeah. ironically. Is, I think that's that's quite a clever tactic yeah. to pull off. I think he's uh, I think he's done very, very well. Um, we will continue with our championship theme um, and speak of the man who our podcast is named after. <laughs> I'm going to start here. And I, I want... All of my hatred and dislike of Sunderland as a city and as a football club, as a group of humans, aside for a moment, I was devastated when he took the job because I thought it was a daft job. And I can see why he took it. I can see the appeal. People say they're a sleeping giant, all this other stuff. But I just don't see it. I, I, I know I have a, always have an eye out for Sunderland Football Club. They've not been a big team for a long time. They've been a struggling team. They've been a surviving team. And they've blagged their way out of situations almost. And you could see by the way... I, I watched the first game of the season. I can't remember they played. They drew 1-1. And you could see that was a team who just weren't asked. They thought they were going to absolutely stroll it. And within eight weeks or so, they realised, oh my God, we're not actually going to stroll it. And everyone, to a man pretty much, has thrown in the towel. Yeah. And that has perpetuated itself through the year. The amount of times they have gone one up and thought, job done, switched off and thrown it away. It's staggering. And I and I really can't blame Chris Coleman for that. As much as this moment would normally 
bring me a huge amount of pleasure given the way that Sunderland reacted and treated us when we went down, which I, you know, we're fair game at that point. I've not enjoyed this as much because of the Coleman thing. And I will also say that whilst I think it was a bad move for him to go there, I think subsequently he has been treated disgracefully being let go mm-hmm. by that team and that club. He, he took a lot of assurances, from what I understand, to go up there. He's moved his family up there. He's yes. got young kids. And I think he's been absolutely, he's been treated absolutely disgustingly. I will say he probably should have had a bit of a brain check before he'd gone in there. And I guess it's kind of the the arrogance a manager needs um, to have, you know, to do the job they do to, for him to think, I can turn this around. Yeah. Um, but they're an absolute shell of a football club at the minute and I really really feel for him and I don't think he's done a particularly bad job there I don't think he's had he's had less than nothing to work with players have thrown in the towel Jack Rodwell is on 70 something grand a week in the championship yeah it's ridiculous unbelievable and they said I read somewhere if he takes a pay cut he's going to take a 40% pay cut or something he's still on 40 grand a week in league one Mm -hmm. and he won't leave the club because he's guaranteed money every week because he's ruined his own career but he won't leave the club I mean the place is just poisonous and like Gus Poyet described it as like a club that's got cancer and I can totally yeah. go with that um, my heart goes out to Coleman a little bit because I think you know what are two years European Cup semi-finals to, to, this. to League One yeah. so I do feel for him and I'm going to stop ranting now but I, I do think I mean, I think shame. I think it's systemic of the problems there, isn't there? That they've actually, they've, they've, as you say, they've ricocheted from one struggling, unpopular manager to the next. They finally found someone who chose to go there, who has clearly connected with the fans. You could argue whether he's getting the best out of the players, but I, you know, that's a step in itself. Is connected yeah. with the fan base there. Um, was prepared to stay was prepared to roll his sleeves up and try and get them out of League One. Why would you let that go? That's just, to me, that's just systemic of the issues that they've got there. Now, you don't, we don't actually know what, was, what is a consequence of this sale and whether there was some part of the sale yeah. that, that the slate had to be completely wiped clean or something. We don't, we don't know. Um, but you'd have thought if that was the case, you'd just say that. Because yeah. at least there's an explanation of why you've done something that appears so ridiculous. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I, my big worry for Coleman, to be perfectly honest, is that I worry where he goes from here mm-hmm. now. I, I'm not suggesting this is the end of his managerial career. But I mean, does he have to take a job in League One to get himself going again? You know, Does he have to do that? Does he have to... I think he could count himself lucky to some extent to get a championship job again. Never mind a Premier League job, that ship has sailed. I was listening to something on the radio yesterday talking about there's a kind of crop of British managers that have seemed like they're running out of steam a mm-hmm. bit. Pardew, thank God. Allardyce, thank God. Um, and I would kind of almost count Coleman in that sort of range. And, I, and again, I feel like he is running out of breath a bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm delighted that Sunderland have gone down <laughs> and I make absolutely no secret of that or whatsoever. Um, we'll just have a little pause here whilst I try and open the beer. <laughs> so, uh, post-beer break... I wanted to have a little discussion about 
stadiums? <laughs> the stadium question. So, uh, for those who aren't in the know, I did a blog a week or so ago about the fact that the Spain game looks like it's going to move to the Millennium Stadium. I received a mixed review on my blog in terms of opinions on it, and I wanted to look at a wider part of the conversation. I think we're both in agreement that Cardiff City Stadium needs to be our home for for, for games that are competitive, qualifiers, etc. I don't have a huge problem with the occasional friendly going to the Millennium Stadium, as long as we're talking once a year and it's a big game, a Spain or whatever. I'm not I'm not going back to the days of Wales playing Latvia or whoever yeah. else um, in front of 12 people. So if we have a big game once a year, I, I can deal with that at the stadium. It's not ideal, but I, I can go with it. Um, My concern would be, is that what it would be? I totally I, agree. I don't like opening the door to no. that. But if that's all that happened, I haven't. I don't have an issue. I agree. With that. I, I agree with you. I, I worry that it will become something else. But I think if we just have, we have to take this on face value mm-hmm. as what it is for the moment. We then started talking about friendlies, etc. Where else they would be played? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Wrexham, North Wales was a big part of our conversation. We've sort of had this conversation before. I am more than happy for for friendlies and stuff to go to to North Wales. Um, my viewpoint remains at the minute we can't afford it whoever's paying mm-hmm. the stadium is not in good enough nick we don't know how much it's going to cost but as things stand we can't go there uh, so to me right now that's the end of it mm-hmm. because the FAW made £1 million profit last year which to put all of that money into having one or two friendly games if we're honest it would have to be against smaller teams as well against North Wales I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me in terms of a good way to spend that money. I guess you could argue that you could only make three, three 3G pitches with that money anyway, so what you know, what's the difference either way? But I would still rather that than... Yeah, I well, I don't think it's the FAW's place, really, to be spending also think money on Wrexham Stadium. I think they could get creative. You know, there's, there was a, a press release maybe two or three months ago now about... Um, Collier's Park and doing effectively what they've done down at Dragon's Park in Newport up there. Yeah. And maybe there's something where you can like underwrite a loan that perhaps helps with the development at the same time or something um, that the FAW could do. But they shouldn't have to have the responsibility of doing up the cop at, at the race course. It's, no. not, it's not their job to do that. But I would like to see them being a bit more proactive about what they're doing to solve the problem of games in North Wales. Whether That's it's a, true. That's a feasibility fair. study or, a, like I said, underwrite something. Or just at the minute, it's the fact that everybody just keeps shrugging their shoulders and not working out what needs to be done. If we worked out what needed to be done and we said, well, clearly Wrexham can't. That's just out of their league. They can't do that. At least we'd be in the know at that point. At least we'd know what we were dealing with. Um, there's, there's other things I think the FAW could do to help with that feeling of connection between North Wales and South Wales when it, when it comes to particularly the men's international team. Um, there's been a lot of like under 21s and under 19 representative games up in North Wales recently. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but 
for example, if something comes of this redevelopment in Wrexham, so we have like a Dragon's Park North, whatever it might be, commit to doing some of the training with the first team there. You know, for example, if we've got a double header coming up, the first of those, the first game is away, why couldn't the pre-training be at Wrexham as easily as it could be in Newport? And I think that's important. And I think with the, in North Wales, there isn't any question about which is the first sport. I don't think there's actually a question across the whole mm. country about which is the first sport. And I, and I think we're just getting a li- little bit left behind there in terms of the relationship. Um, the FAW, I think, doing a great job at grassroots level, and I think it's been very uh, fair in the distribution of that across the country. But I think we're reaching a point where there needs to be a statement about the top representative teams still having a place across the whole country. To play devil's advocate for a second, Mm -hmm. let's say for argument's sake we build a Dragon's Park 2, Mm -hmm. like you said, I was going to say Dragon's Den then, Um, Dragon's Park 2 in North Wales, and before we go to Albania, Wales train there. A, is that enough? And B... Is there, a, is there a value to that on a purely, forget everything else, on a purely footballing basis? Is there a value in redeveloping all of that stuff, spending all of that money just so that they can train? There's no game there, it's just so they can, they can train there. Well, the, it looks like that investment is going to be made anyway, as much from the coaching development side. You know, we're, we're actually really growing. A, as an, as an, it'd be interesting to see as a line item on the FAW's income what we're making off all the coaching courses we're doing. Yeah. Because it must proportionally it must be a decent part of the of the FAW's income because there's there's stuff happening all the time. And the reputation is such that particularly those that you know the high end coaching courses, we must be charging a reasonable amount oh, for them, presumably. Um, so presumably it's worth the investment, at least partly from that point of view, as a facility that can be used like that all all year. Um, I don't think it solves the problem, Dave. I, I think I think there's there's a fundamental issue, isn't there, in terms of we're we're always going to um, have a, a dichotomy of a lot of North Wales support and a geography that just makes that really difficult. Yeah. And you know, there there the, <clears throat> there may be more around more questions around the timing of games in Cardiff and the provision of trains and, and coaches and things is a, perhaps something the FAW can do in a more immediate sense. You know, the fact that we've got so many Thursday evening games. And again, I don't think that's anyone's fault. But I mean, just like <clears throat> if the Spain game's in, in the Millennium Stadium, let's say it's a Thursday night, you know, does it have to be a 7.45 kickoff when folks in North Wales are going to have trouble getting home afterwards? Yeah, no, that's fair. Can it be a 6.15 kickoff, say? Yeah. And then people have got a chance to get in back to Wrexham or Bangor before, you know, that evening. I, I think you're right. I think there was a thing that Bryn Law talked about a while ago about making sure that after games at home there were trains put on yeah. and, and everything else. And that movement seemed to gather pace for a bit. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of stuff that happened, towards, especially toward the end of the World Cup qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, and I suppose I'm looking at it from a, a narrow angle in that I'm from South Wales, so... It's always been on my doorstep, so it's always been easy for me, and I don't want that to change, selfishly, but that's, that's, that's the truth. 
I have absolutely zero problem with games being in North Wales. I, I've been to Wrexham. I think we played New Zealand in a yeah, friendly, we did. and I went to that game. Great day out, you know, a lot of fun. I don't even think we won the game. I, I feel like we drew maybe. Anyway, as a consequence, it was we were playing New Zealand, mm-hmm. and I mean no disrespect to any New Zealanders who may or may not be listening to this. But my sister. Oh yeah, does your sister listen? <laughs> She does. <laughs> yeah, well, you say, of course she does. My mum doesn't listen. My sister doesn't listen. Um, anyway, I mean, no disrespect to your sister or New Zealanders, but having a game up in North Wales has a value because people can go and watch Wales play. If people think we're going to move a game to North Wales, let's use this Spain game as an example. Pretend that the that the race course. <laughs> pretend that the race we haven't got a fire engine today. That's a really <laughs> um, pretend that the race course is fit for purpose at the moment. Let's say that that can happen. Is Gareth Bale going to be able to go to that game? Are Real Madrid letting Gareth Bale go to that? Is Aaron Ramsey going to that game? I don't think the location makes a difference at that I point. really think it does. Equally, I think, take the Spanish team out of it. If in the future we're looking at organising a game and we've got a word, you know, got, someone's having a word with Brazil or France or Argentina. But those games would never go to the race course. A game like Panama is the one that would go to the race course. And I don't and I don't yeah. disagree with that. And I think that's I think that's a fair point. And, and games like that that are worthwhile. But then are people gonna you know, there's fourteen thousand for that game in Cardiff. How many people go to that game if it's in Wrexham? Is it is it many more? I just I just I think at the minute the way things are from a purely financial perspective, which I know not football's not about that, blah blah blah. But we can we can say what we want. It, it is about that at the moment. Is that a financially sound decision? I don't think it's a financially sound decision for FAW money. That million do- that million pounds that we have banked should not be spent on that. Yeah, it's got to be spent at grassroots level, and it's not going to go very far at grassroots level. But it should be spent at grassroots level. But. I think there needs to be a more explicit discussion and a more explicit plan about what's happening in North Wales. Because we're going to go on and discuss Bangor. You've got the the two key teams in North Wales, always historically have been Wrexham and Bangor. And they've both got problems. They've got different problems, but they've both got problems. And I think I think the FAW has to take a role in what does what does that mean for a substantial football supporting part of the country. I think that is a perfect pace to conclude because I, I totally agree with you and I think, regardless of my personal opinion on all of this, I do think one way or the other, the FAW has to come out and say, look, we know this is a problem. To do this, to address this, sorry, we are going to... Da, da, da. Or we've thought about this, the reason we're not doing anything at the moment is... I think that would placate a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It may not solve the problems, it may not make everyone happy, but it, at least there would be an explanation of it. At the minute, I agree with you, the fact that it's ignored, I would say, from, from our perspective, from the outside, um, I think is something that certainly needs to be addressed and something needs to be done about it. My links are continue to be great. You mentioned Bangor, Bangor City there. Um, third in the league, one of the best supported clubs in the Welsh Premier League, about to be demoted to the second tier, the, the Cymru Alliance. It seems to be because of their financial yeah. uh, criteria not met. However, looking at my bits of paper here, they seem to have no debt. There's something about this. I, I just don't get it. The, the questions I feel like there's something are, the, missing. The irony is the questions are more about, I, I suspect, 
are more about where is the money coming from than the fact that there isn't money. I mean, there are lots of questions about the Vaughans historically in terms of the clubs that they've been involved in. And this seems to be another example of some shady dealing. And I don't know if that's a reasonable assumption. But given their history, you, you know, you, you, you end up thinking, OK, so you've got this sports promoting company that's basically the key sponsors that doesn't actually seem to have any income, doesn't actually seem to be promoting anybody, and yet has got money to invest in in Bangor as a as a team, where's that money coming from? That it's just the whole thing. It's just I can understand why the FAW are saying. I mean, we don't know what they're saying, but why they're saying there's something up with the books. There's something up financially here that doesn't make sense. What I'm frustrated by is how long have Bangor and the FAW been in these discussions? Who who's not stepped up and sorted it out? And also, I think there's an oversight question for both the Welsh Premier League and the FAW of if the questions are about these external companies supporting the team and being the financial backing of the team, and we have reservations about these external companies, why isn't that a discussion or a flag earlier as soon as as soon as someone is stepping up and saying we're going to get involved with this team, why aren't those things that you're exploring well ahead of this? I I mean I have nowhere near as much knowledge on about the situation as you, but that was a big thing that struck me as a Newcastle United fan. I keep going back to this. Mike Ashley was a dodgy bloke before he took over Newcastle United, and here we are with a guy being a pain in the arse to us. And I and I appreciate. You know, we're talking about different worlds, but the the point is still the same. The people who are involved with running Bangor are not the straightest of arrows, shall we say. Why wait until the end of the season? Why wait until we're messing with European qualification? I mean, do they need to be demoted because of that? You know, if we maybe ban them playing in Europe could be one thing, but to demote them, there just seems obviously the FAW have got more. I mean, they've got this, but... they've got criteria, and and clearly, from what's happened, Bangor haven't met this criteria. Now, Bangor are arguing that, but the FAW would say, "Here's the criteria: you've not met them." What concerns me is what's being done to ask those questions twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, two years ago. They they had to go to appeal. Oh, I forget the timeline, but they've been to appeal before and got re- and got through the appeal before. I think fundamentally the questions are to Bangor, but I do think there's some responsibility for the WPL and the FAW in this, in the sense of who's been pressing for, for questions and solutions prior to this. And it might have been happening, David. I'm, you know, I'm in no position to say yeah. that they've, these, the, the other two organisations have sat back and just laughed at Let what's happening happen. in Bangor and, and, and everybody's gone to the, the licensing meeting and, you know, and in fairness, that's a different board again. That's an independent organisation that judges those criteria. So it's not even as though the FAW have rubber stamped it or not. It's a separate. It's a separate board that does that. So, you know, it might be unfair asking those questions. But I think, I think where where you have any responsibility of oversight for any sort of institution 
if that institution isn't doing what it should do, the people with the oversight responsibility have some responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I think it's a big shame. I, I, just, I appreciate that uh, Carmarthen Town benefit because <laughs> they stay up. So, you know, it's not all bad news <laughs> trying to take a balanced view. So, as the GOG in this partnership, I think the the role that Bangor, it's, it, it's somewhat similar to Wrexham, but the role that Bangor has played historically in the development of football in North Wales is really important. And I'm, so I think there's a particular... Um, there's a particular sensitivity to being that club that's in this position. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at their history, FA Trophy. I mean, I remember this, it was 84, I think, when they got to the FA Trophy. The energy in, in Bangor, that, the two or three weeks before that yeah. game, it was amazing. You know, they've, they've played in Europe and played well. It's a long time ago, but, they, you know, they played against Napoli, they played against Atletico. You know, they've, you know, the way we talk about Merthyr a little bit in terms of their adventures in, yeah. in Europe, Bangor have had a very similar path. And, and for, for them to be in this position, that's, that's, that's just, it's heartbreaking because they're, yeah. they're just such, such an important voice in North Walian football and, and to have Wrexham going through what it's going through at the same time it's, it's just hard to watch. No I can appreciate that and it is a big shame and I think you, you know you talk about the European Knights there, them being denied the opportunity to play in Europe as they would be with their league position yeah. again it's a shame. It's hard I mean I, I, it's, I think it's hard to and they've got such a good academy as well and then so they're gonna not in the in the short term, but in the, in, in eighteen months' time, they're gonna lose academy money because they they they've dropped down a league. Yeah, and it's probably the best academy in North Wales. You know, Wrexham might argue, but but it's probably the best academy in North Wales. And we're not. So again, what are we doing to support that? What are we doing to solve that? We had a conversation with someone on Twitter about the. There's almost a fear of conspiracy that no one cares about North Wales football. And whilst I don't buy into that, there are times like this where you feel like someone could and should be stepping in that makes you think, I don't This is, I don't think it's true there's conspiracy, but that there's almost a feeling of apathy towards that mm-hmm. because it doesn't make the FAW and, and, and other people that much money, which is what it kind of boils down to, I, I, I guess. Um, the rest, the rest of the league... I mean, you've got probably the best travelling support amongst the best travelling support in the WPL. So they're so you're losing that on your gates next year because yeah. Bangor aren't involved. They, you know, we've been, we were talking earlier about how there's a consequence to dropping down a league. You know, there's the, the a lot of the players that are playing at Bangor currently won't be there yeah. next year. You know, I think there's, there's this kind of assumption that they're going to come straight back up. They might not. If they can't, if they can't secure the level of uh, player squad that they need, because you know, because people understandably will be looking for the best quality of football they can get. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> well, moving on. <laughs> Whilst I ranted about Sunderland, Ruth is gone here. Um, we're going to stay with the Welsh Premier League and Barry Town. 
you are the, the North Walian representative, <laughs> so I am the South Walian representative. Um, I am a big soft spot for Barrytown. I went to, uh, Barry is about ten, five, ten minutes away from where I'm from, where I live in Cardiff. And I've been to Barry, Barrytown lots of times. European football. Um, I've coached football teams that have got to two cup finals at Jenner Park. Lost them both. Um, <laughs> won them to a very bad refereeing decision, but that is a of podcast course. on its own. It has a big soft spot for me, as, as these North Wailing clubs do for you. <laughs> And from the range of things that have happened to Barrytown in the last 20 or so years is huge. Um, so I was delighted to see them getting into the playoffs mm-hmm. for the Europa League. When you consider they've fallen to the fourth tier, basically, of, of yeah. Welsh football in one way, shape or form or another, almost gone bankrupt. They had an owner who was trying to drive them to the ground to all intents and purposes. The fans saved them. Um, they've had a manager who's been with them for on and off for about 11 years in Gavin Chesterfield who's led them to promotion mm-hmm. um, and led them back to where they are now he led them to a cup final they were only the first the second team sorry uh, to have got to the cup final whilst not being in the top division of Welsh football okay. um, they've had a huge resurgence mm-hmm. and I feel like that is something that deserves some kind of kind of recognition because this is their first season back in the Welsh Premier yeah. League. Um, and for them to have not only performed well in that league, but also to get to get into the to the playoffs for the Europa League, I think is a massive achievement. Um, I've got a friend of mine who goes to Barrytown quite regularly. Went, I say he goes to a couple of away games. I think he went to like the Cardiff Met away game. <laughs> not really too far to travel there. But uh, he has been to one or two away games. So he wouldn't be going to Wrexham for an international <laughs> yeah, then. Exactly. He is English, to be fair. So I'll let him off for, the, for not going to the away game, for, to, the, to the game for uh, Wrexham. But um, considering they've only got into, like I say, into the Premier League, Welsh Premier League last se- uh, this season, um, I think t- to be where they are is, is a huge achievement. And I think that is something worthy of praise whilst there's a lot going on elsewhere that's not so great um, as we've just been talking about with Bangor I feel like the amount of trials and tribulations mm-hmm. that club has gone through in the last 20 years or so that could be a podcast on its own so for them to have got back to where they are now I think and they're a great example because I'm just obviously sort of looking from the outside in on that they seem a great example of a community-based oh, football team and, and just everything everything that's positive about that as well. They've got a lot of younger younger football mm-hmm. teams. They've got a very strong women's team as well. Uh, and they promote girls' football as well as women's football through their younger younger academy teams. So, yeah, well done to Barrytown. So, as can, we... Uh... Can I change the subject a little bit? Oh, okay. Because it's sort of connected, but it's sort of not. To be fair, my links have been very good so far, so you better not mess this up. I'm about to mess this up. Excellent. So... Obviously, you do most of the Twitter, but very occasionally I drop in. So I was tweeting with Lawrence from Eat, Sleep, Footy, Repeat at the, I think at the weekend, and we're, the theme was whether we go to summer football. And my take was certainly for the youth teams, we we need to consider this. And obviously, you've got your experience of coaching with Sully Colt. So I actually just wanted to. Ask you what your take Big shout on out that. Big shout-out to Sully Colts there. I think for the Welsh Premier League to go to, to summer football, I think, would be sensible. Um, I think it's unfeasible 
to go to summer football for for youth football and younger younger players. In my experience of coaching, you start training uh, again. You know, August time mm-hmm. you get your first couple of games in September. You always cram your first couple of games in. You're always missing two or three or four or five lads, depending on where you're from, because boys are on holiday. Or I think for the younger teams, the reality of it is, if you do football over the summer you're going to have six weeks where kids aren't going to be there and, and people aren't going to be there to watch because they're going on holidays. Mm-hmm. I think from a practical standpoint, summer football, I think, I don't think is realistic. I think from what would be best for our kids and playing football, then mm-hmm. I think is a great idea. But I think the reality is it, it just wouldn't, in my opinion, I don't think it would work. I think practicalities would kind of get away. Also, a lot of places, Sully called Sully Sports, as they are now being... A good example: share a pitch and used to share a pitch mm-hmm. with what becomes a, a cricket ground in the summer. Yeah. And I'd imagine that they're not unique in that. Yeah. So as a consequence, what happens there? Mm-hmm. I think if it's going to happen, it needs to happen kind of gradually, where the where the season kind of shifts a bit later, um, and we have an official winter break, so to mm-hmm. speak, so to speak, in kids' football uh, and just football in Wales in general, and. And it kind of gradually shifts yeah. into the summer. Yeah. I think that would be a good way to do it. But I think. So I wonder if you could do something almost that like they do over here, which is take a summer hiatus, literally a high summer hiatus, and yeah. accept that you're not trying to uh, play football in the five, six, seven weeks where the kids are on their summer vacation for exactly the reason that you're, you're talking about. But you run more like, you know, May, June touch of July, September, October. So it doesn't follow a school year, so yeah. to speak. And that, that could work now. I mean, it, might not, it won't work for schools necessarily, but with the youth, the sort of demarcation line is changing, isn't it? So it becomes January, it's become January 1st as opposed to the school academic year. Yeah, I can see that. So... Uh, the alternative is it happens here as well uh, in the senior football, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately why I play these days, um, <laughs> is... The seasons are split in halves and you have smaller leagues and a, and a 10 or 12 game season yeah. before as you say high summer yeah. and then you have a 10 or 12 game yeah. season after the high summer and I, and I think that could be something more, I don't know how that would work if that kind of got shifted up to the professional professional game but you're playing on the, on the right side of summer then I, yeah. for me there's definitely something that needs to be done yeah I definitely don't have all the answers, but to me, it makes no sense to have people waiting on phone calls on a Saturday morning. I, I, and it's not just the youth teams. I mean, it's it's been it's all over. It's it's like all the way up. I have a it's friend of mine. Win- it's been a particularly bad winter. I, I appreciate agree. that. Yeah, but it's it's not just the kids. It's all the way yeah. up. It's been a disaster this year. I have a friend of mine, Fraser, uh, who works for the Western Telegraph and he reports on on Welsh football mm-hmm. all over and obviously West Wales is his kind of patch so the amount of times I see a tweet from him on a Saturday morning saying these games are off mm-hmm. these games are off these games and it seems to be happening more and more so much so that people are still playing 
yeah, Saturday league football at the minute are playing Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, trying to make up games. Like it, it just can't be right. I mean, yeah. I, the amount of times I spent on a Saturday morning phoning, and I don't know if it's still going, <laughs> the 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 Barry and District hotline it was called, um, which was a voice message to find mm-hmm. out if your game was on or off. And I mean that got updated anything from twenty four hours before kickoff to ten minutes before <laughs> kickoff. Um, so. There's no question to me that something needs to be done, and I really think that also pulling people in to watch football, yeah, uh, especially in the Welsh Premier League at summertime, yeah. is a bigger pull. Yeah. I, I, I benefit to teams going into the European qualifiers that already been used to playing football, yeah. but I think it involves a big culture change in football in the whole of Wales, and I just don't know a if people are willing, mm-hmm. if people are able, um, and if the people who need to drive it, I mean, we've said the FAW a lot today, but if the FAW are willing to drive it and and, and kind of big this make this big sweeping change, because the only thing I will say against it is at the absolute top level, whoever you want to kind of congratulate for it, we've got our best kind of crop of players at mm-hmm. the minute. We've got a great crop of youth players coming through. Yeah. No, I understand. Are they the being point. hindered by the conditions? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, working. It's a hard argument yeah. to go against no, the, when the, you say the, we've just been the most successful we've ever yeah, been. Yeah, the, the the point is we're we're producing youth players. Yeah, um, could they be better? I guess. So, it, I, I agree with you. It's it's you know, do you want to go again that? But I think that fundamentally we want more people playing football, and so how can we do that? Uh, and I think, I mean, in, in, it sounds like in Ireland they've switched yeah, they to, have, yeah. a, a, you know, what we think of as a summer, a summer league. Um, so you can make the change. I agree with you. You've got to evaluate whether it makes sense. Uh, but it's another question I think is worth asking. I'd be interested in actually seeing how it would work mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing someone kind of give it a go. The thing that goes against us here, again, I would say with that is... The fact that we are connected to English and yeah. Scottish and Northern Irish football, and I don't know what the lay of the land is yeah. there. And I appreciate I'm finding a lot of negatives here, but I guess uh, that's not intention, it's just realism, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Um, good question. <laughs> good chat. Um, we're going to move this on as we come to the end of our, of our podcast. Um, we... I've been talking a lot as it's the end of the season about opinions on what's going to happen to people and who's going to go up, who's going to go down, you know, what a good season they've had. So I thought we'd dish out a few awards and I will point out to anyone who is a professional footballer uh, <laughs> listening to this, as I'm sure there are tons that you do not get an actual award. Maybe one day that we can hold a Coleman Had a Dream award ceremony. <laughs> That is the dream. We'll settle for a tweet right now, yeah? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I thought we could kind of give out a few mm-hmm. a few awards of our own. What I love about this is that when I tried to look at your homework earlier, you told me you couldn't look. I couldn't look at yours <laughs> in case I coffee you. But I have a worrying feeling that a lot of these are the same. So this is totally unprepared, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we will see what happens. So... Our first award uh, is for the best moment of the year. Go. Okay. So I've actually got sort of 
three nominations. See, this is why I love this, because I knew you'd do loads of homework and I'd just black it. <laughs> well, that's not homework. Actually, this one, this one in particular isn't homework. So I've got three nominations. Um, Wood, Woodburn's goal against Austria, particularly the timing with the anthem finishing. Yeah. And, yeah, that was just amazing. The moment in the France friendly where the three of them come on, because I still, I still think a few, few years down the line, you add Wilson to that image and it's like, yeah, yeah we're doing Here all we right. Go. You know, yeah. we're going in the right direction. And then my kind of somewhat unexpected might is um, Laura O'Sullivan's penalty save against Bosnia-Herzegovina at the very end of that match. That was really important in the, over, the yeah, overall result and what happened yeah. next. So those are my three nominations. I agreed with you on two of them. My third nomination, I hadn't thought of the Laura Sullivan one. My third one was the anthem against the Republic of Ireland. Well, you were there, so... Admittedly, we lost that match, which I, I guess does take the shine off it. For me, the moment looking into the future was kind of... Wow. Yeah. But I don't know what that's going to become. <laughs> the... Ireland national anthem mm-hmm. was amazing and I appreciate I was there and you weren't so it, it does make us look at it in a different way yeah um, but I've heard that national anthem a lot of times in the flesh and that was one of those things where I kind of turned around and was like wow <laughs> like yeah that kind of it didn't even make the hairs on the mm-hmm. neck back of your neck stand up they wanted to stand up and walk yeah. off you yeah. know that it was well what was interesting is there's a, a colleague of um, Dionysus who was with you in Cardiff. Yeah. I actually share an office with him. And he still Poor talks guy. about that. And there's a Yank that you've taken to Cardiff and he still talks about that yeah. moment. So that's it, how powerful it was. It was incredible. And having said all of those things, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ruth and I watched the... I don't know if this is your winner as well. Oh, it is. That's okay. Because we're awkward. Ruth and I watched this game in a bar here. Uh, we'd watch Iceland play someone beforehand. There was a group of very rowdy Icelandic fellas mm-hmm. in the get in the bar. Um, USA were playing later in the day, I think. So there's yeah. a kind of small group of USA fans there. There were a family having some sort of family dinner, and we were losing our shit <laughs> in the Austria game. And when Ben Woodburn scored, I like well, the pair of us lost our minds. Uh, I dislocated my shoulder and we had to go to hospital. Ruth wanted to go straight away. I insisted on propping my arm up on the bar, basically, to keep my shoulder in position and finishing my beer and watching the rest of the game, which we duly did uh, before going to hospital. So I watched the last 20 minutes of that game with no shoulder in place. Ruth spent 20 minutes panicking on her phone, which shows the very different personalities we have. Uh, my wife continued sunbathing, and when they came to the hospital to meet us, despite the fact I was dressed head to foot in uh, in red, she still looked redder than me. <laughs> um, to me, that moment of this season is what you're a football fan for. Yeah. For dislocating your shoulder? Yeah, I love a trip to the hospital. <laughs> uh, I, that moment is what being a Welsh football fan is all about to me. The... Hope was still in the air. The, the timing of the goal. He's a young boy. He's just come on. Everything about it, like that's, yeah. it's, it's Roy the Rovers sort of thing. And to me, that is my moment of the year. Yeah. Without fact. Okay. Without so we agree. This never happens. Okay. This is why I'm so excited about this. Okay. Best match of the season. Go. 
if we're if we're talking about literally this season, it's that Wales Women Against England game for me. It was just other. It's probably the match since we played Belgium. Ironically, that has drawn me in the most. It was just great. It was as every particularly that second half. Every moment, for what you were saying a second ago about why we love football, yeah. it was everything about why we love Welsh football. It was wonderful. It was. Um, so, from a match point of view, that's that's my top. Uh, I'm going to go a bit contro. Mm. I am going to go for. I, to be fair, as a precursor to this, Wales women are definitely going to get our fictional award here. <laughs> but I want to mention uh, Newport County. Ah, the game against Spurs? Because that game against Spurs was... And you're talking about the region of football, mm-hmm. that's the reason the FA Cup is still so important to yeah. me, is those sort of games. Um, I watched the Leeds game on the train, and I can't remember why I was in the UK or where I was going or whatever, but I remember watching that game on the train and being like, wow. Um, and then that game against Spurs was just such a spirited performance mm-hmm. and a group of Spurs players who didn't seem to fancy it and Newport were brilliant and for me to watch as a relative neutral that was my match of the season because I I was just engrossed in it you couldn't take your eyes off it Joy, my wife who hates football was glued to it Uh it was just a brilliant advert for the FA Cup. It was a brilliant advert for football. It was a brilliant advert for going to a to your local football match. And, you know, they built a massive stand, which looked like, I don't know, made of Lego on the, <laughs> on the side of the ground. It was it was everything. I, I absolutely loved it. And them getting the game at Wembley was amazing as well, I think. I know the result obviously wasn't great, but though they had their moments in that. And I think... I just think it was brilliant. But that just reflects the fact that they've recently received this Family Excellence Award in terms of just like a proper football experience. And, the, you know, it was clear that the Spurs, maybe not the players, but the wider Spurs, backroom staff, the management, the coaches, the fans, just loved their visit to Newport. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, that's another part of what we were saying earlier about a good year for Newport. It was a good year in the wider sense as well, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think they should be very proud of their achievements this year. And, and I know their league form and their league season has kind of petered out perhaps a little bit as a consequence. But I think they should be, they should really be very proud of that and... That was my match of the season, but I think it's safe to say that we can give the Wales women the award for that. I think that was one of the the most impressive games of football I've think I've seen in a long time. Certainly not the best, but one of the most impressive. Um, and that is our match of the season. <laughs> Who would you give your best Welsh player of the season to? I got a few nominations. I like this. Okay, um, Ben Davies. I think actually, at fairness, these are mostly for club level play rather yeah. than, than international. Joe Allen, just, but I don't like what they're doing with him at Stoke, but oh my God, can he graft? Aaron Ramsey's 
how Arsenal aren't completely in love with How him. they don't appreciate just, that, like, just absolutely amazing. And the way Harry Wilson has kind of reinvented himself at, at Hull, I think, deserves merit. I think Lee Evans is actually having a far better season than... Uh, is a far better player, perhaps, than I'd really appreciated. Yeah. The bit of Sheffield that I'm seeing. Uh, what about you? Uh, you've named a lot of the people I was going to mention there. I am going to go for none of those players. Okay. I'm going to go for Jess Fishlock. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I absolutely love Jess Fishlock. <laughs> what she has done for Welsh football, for women's football, for girls who are interested in football in Wales is enormous. She is a, a, a successful club in Seattle. She went to Australia. Yeah, and played with Melbourne. She won it and scored a brilliant goal in the final. In a year where I don't think many Welsh players have had like an outstanding yeah, season. That's fair. Uh, I think she has had an outstanding season. And for me, the, her contribution to what she does for the women's team is mm-hmm. so underrated because she is an attacking player. She is yeah. an expressive player. But she throws all of that aside when she needs to for Wales. And I think she's absolutely astonishing. Yeah. And I think the... I, as much as I love Gareth Bale, mm-hmm. and if you're listening, Gareth, I still love you. <laughs> I don't think Gareth Bale would do for Wales what Jess Fishlock does. And I don't think that's any criticism of Gareth Bale whatsoever. But she would play anywhere. She'd play in goal for Wales. And and she'd probably be, be really good. And I think she's had a phenomenal year, yeah. a phenomenal season. And I think she is amazing. I, I can't disagree with that. And I think the fact that she she literally plays twelve months. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't stop. like to when do she's got what a bit she of time does. Off, she just keeps going <laughs> to do what she does. Twelve months a year is amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. she's incredible. So for me, she is the best player of the year. Okay, we'll go with that one. You concurring? Yeah, this is going very well. <laughs> um, best young player of the season. I'm going to take the lead here. Okay, uh, because, only because you mentioned a couple of them before. Mm-hmm. Harry Wilson, uh, phenomenal. Lee Evans, I think. David Brooks yep. has been great. So those are my three. Okay. I would... Oh, sorry. I also wanted to add the other person I'm slightly in love with, which is Charlie Estcourt. <laughs> uh, You're more than slightly in love with Charlie okay. Estcourt, let's be And fair. it was a bit creepy. She's, she's only about 20, I'm 33. It's a bit much. But I think she... she well, I think she does play out of position for Wales. Yep. Uh, and that England game as a one-off, I think, shows what she is capable yep. of. Um, I think Harry Wilson has been brilliant. Mm-hmm. His lone move has, in my mind, changed his career. Yeah. I think Lee Evans has had a great spell. He's a much more dynamic player than than you, you might you might think. And I think David Brooks is an absolute superstar yeah. in the waiting. And I think a lot of them have had great seasons. And I think they I'd ask, a lot of credit. I'd add um, Chris Metham for that to that list. I haven't seen much of what he's been doing at Brentford, but certainly what I've read, he's had a really good season. Can I just add here? Mm-hmm. He's actually Chris Mepham. Sorry, Chris Mepham. You're right, because his dad corrected us, isn't he? There you go, <laughs> you see. If, if, if Chris Mepham's dad says it... <laughs> Sorry. That's the and then I've had Connor Roberts as well. Oh, well, that's Admitted, a really good show. Admittedly, he's only played for the Swans. This first league appearance was this it weekend. Chelsea, yeah. Um, but I think he's had a really good season. So who would you go for? I'd go for Harry Wilson. I'll agree with that. I think it's a brave decision to step out of mm-hmm. what must be a fairly comfortable existence at Liverpool to go and play Championship football. Not only has that happened, 
he's also had a massive impact. He scored, I, I want to say seven goals, but I feel like that's a lie. I'll go seven. Um, <laughs> he's created a lot of goals for them. Yeah. His form carried through into the China Cup and he looked our most threatening player against mm-hmm. Uruguay in the final, I thought. I think he is finally beginning to look like he's yeah. fulfilling the potential he's, he's capable of. So for me, yeah. he's the winner. Okay, that's all right. We'll Honourable mention to Lee Evans, though, I will say, because I think he's done very well. The last award, which I don't know why we've done this this way round. Oh, we've got two more. Have we? Yeah. What was the other one? Biggest disappointment, biggest surprise. We'll go, su- we'll go surprise last. Okay. And I haven't thought of anything. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, biggest disappointment of the season. I've only got one nomination for this. Okay. I tell a lie, I have two. My biggest disappointments of the year are the Republic of Ireland game mm-hmm. and Chris Coleman. I have no problem with him leaving. I have every problem with him going to Sunderland. <laughs> uh, the Republic of Ireland game was atmosphere-wise amazing and equally one of the most devastating moments I've ever had as a football fan. Mm-hmm. Um, we were stood where we were sat, sorry, was the corner where at the end of the game, Chris Gunter had just taken a throw in a corner or something and was in that corner of the ground and he just stood with his chin on the corner flag, just looking at him, he deflated. And I kind of looked at him, I was just like, I just can't deal with this right now. <laughs> um, after going so far mm-hmm. to make it, I, I felt like it was going to happen. There are times when I'm rem- I'm reminded we're a generation apart. Yeah. <laughs> I can believe Been, I can see been there, Dave. Done that a few times. Yeah. I, I mean, I, what I will say in my defence is I, I, it's not my first heartbreak. Here. Um, I've been through. I've been through a lot. I think the the I Russia think... game was my ultimate low point. I think yeah. that was probably the lowest I've felt as a football fan. Full stop. I think. Or down. I think it was the performance as much as anything. If if we if the result had been the result, but we performed, it would be easier to live with. I actually think we performed to the best of our abilities, given we had no Bain and we lost we Alan very early. I think. I don't know. I think we were a bit place. ordinary. We were a bit ordinary, but I think if you take our two best players out of our team, we probably are a bit ordinary. Yeah. I think the manner of conceding the goal. We're not going down this rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I think without even I don't even know your recommend your. Your my only other my only other disappointment would be would be the swans in the sense that you feel like they're on repeat, like there's That's no there's way. no learning going on there. That's there's no way. there's no stepping forward going on there. But I don't disagree with you. It's it's how we played against the Republic of Ireland and the result. Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty galling. On to a biggest surprise of the season is mm-hmm. our last one. Well, I'm actually going to... We've covered it already. I'm at, my one real nomination would be Cardiff. Because I think, I think given where they were, where they are now, where they might be, that's, that's pretty damn impressive. I would also go the Wales women. Yeah, that's fair enough. Because I would imagine that no one expected them to be where they are. No. Take, regardless of the England performance, mm-hmm. just to have topped the group, to have kind of got a groundswell of support. Yeah. A lot of kind of changed opinions on Welsh football and people involved in it who wouldn't who wouldn't have been ordinarily. Um, so are we saying I think also there's a there's a nod to the FAW there in terms of or I pick that one in terms of um, how they are working that I 
think they, I think that's one of the things they're doing very well at the minute. Okay, I changed my mind. I'm with you. <laughs> this is gone. Editing, well. editing. No, I'm not going to edit. I'm going to stick it all in. I will, the one thing I will say is I remember going going to those games at the Millennium Stadium to go back to that and thinking why aren't the FAW doing anything to make this better why is John Toshak our manager with the benefit of hindsight that wasn't the worst decision but why are there 12 people why are there more players than fans why is Yari Littman better than our whole team Um, I'm wanting the FAW to do more and I've got to give credit to them they really have and from the people we've spoken to this year um, I think the work the FAW have done really needs to be recognised mm-hmm. and should be. And I've been really surprised at how active an approach they've taken. A lot of it has happened before this season, but yeah. my knowledge of it has come this season. So maybe that's uh, a good way to finish it. But I think they have done so much behind the scenes that people don't see and are having a huge a positive impact on Welsh football. And just to briefly go back to the Millennium Stadium thing, if I am still of the kind of the mindset a little bit of they deserve the benefit of the doubt at the yeah. minute. Um, but overall, I agree with you. I think I have been surprised at how much the FAW have done with people like Haley from Feet Wells, with the Barry Horns, so many other things. Tim Williams, I, I, I think I've been really impressed with them. And their appointment of Ryan Giggs, whilst I was very sceptical and still remain slightly sceptical, has not backfired as I thought it might. So I think that's a very good idea. Okay, let's give it to them then. So to conclude, the FAW have our biggest surprise of the year. I'm not <laughs> sure how that works, but okay. <laughs> None of you get an award, but uh, we will tweet every one of you uh, hoping for a retweet. Uh, so thank you. Um, I am going to finish uh, by saying thank you very much for listening. I'm also going to say that thanks to a Twitter exchange a few weeks ago, Iwan Roberts mm-hmm. has agreed to be interviewed uh, by us and with us, which we are very, very excited about. So please keep an eye out for that soon. Thank you, Iwan, for being interviewed by us. If you listen, you probably don't. You've got better <laughs> things to do. Um, but thank you very much, and please keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can find us on all the usual outlets that we usually do. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. We have colemansdream.wordpress.com is our website for our blogs we are at colemans underscore dream on twitter and I haven't updated Facebook for ages so don't worry about that Um, thank you very much for listening good night